Hello everyone, welcome back to the Mike Armstrong podcast show and this morning I'm joined by Daniel O'Brien who's an insurance advisor from Aston Lark in the Midlands and we met on LinkedIn and we're going to have a little chat about business and, and lockdown and life in general. Uh, how are you doing this morning uh, Daniel, are you okay? I'm great, I'm great. I've had my morning cup of coffee which is an essential part of my day. Um, if the podcast would have been two hours earlier um, I wouldn't have been anywhere near as responsive. So no, happy to be here, thanks for having me on. Um, no it's, great, um, it's great that LinkedIn allows interactions like this because, again, without that platform, there wouldn't have been a this. So, you know, I'm really grateful for it. Yeah, brilliant. And, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of people on my podcast. I used to have a lot of my network on, and I still do. But I've also been networking uh, internationally through Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, uh, LinkedIn, and my podcast uh, more yeah. recently. And I've had lots of international guests on, so uh, it's great to have a, a fellow Brit on again, because uh, I've had yeah. quite a lot of internationals on recently. Um, but my first question always is, how has the lockdown been for you and, and your business or your job? And, uh, and, and what have you done, you know, different during that time, really? Yeah, yeah, no, it, because we're in a, an, an industry which is probably considered by many a necessary evil, um, we're, we're doing okay. We've, we've been locked down since middle of March we've been working from home and, and that, that's still the form um, but we're sustainable we're doing fine um, you know we're, we're, we're in a position where the, the, the clients that I look after personally are not much in the retail or the hospitality industry so they're still there and they're still renewing um, I think the only change really is where you know I'm sort of a face-to-face person so I go and see people um, it's been a little more challenging to conduct those kind of um, renewal discussions and audits or going to see new clients. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think it's about, again, you've got to be positive and to react into the environment that you're in. And so you just find um, new avenues to, to connect with people, hence things like this or, or going on LinkedIn. So I suppose it's just refined or, or changed the way that I, I, I've always done business, but in terms of, the approach to business, the way that the insurance market works. Um, it, it, it's almost business as usual. I give credit to my employers actually that we've got seemingly a very good infrastructure for things like working from home because we have heard um, horror stories whereby some insurers, for example, have been offline for two weeks and you think, well, what happens if something burns down? And, you know, so I, I think it, it's been quite seamless for myself. I, I kind of feel looking the industry that I'm in and, and the way that we set up to, to, to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, good. And uh, it's a bit like me. I've been working from home for eight years, so very little really changed when the lockdown came uh, for mm-hmm. me, except for I used to go networking in the real world twice a week, usually two events a week. And now I do eight online events a week because I can now because there's less time uh, involved in going to an online event than a mm-hmm. real world event, especially as with an online event, for example, sometimes you only get a few minutes to say what you do and the rest of the time you're listening. So I can yeah. listen and do other things at the same time, which means it's not actually taking up two hours of dedicated time, like a real yeah. world event would do. So you can juggle lots more of them in the day. And also I, I used to do sort of telesales, field sales, and then I've been doing you know, digital marketing and all that sort of stuff and all the different platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. So all my eggs aren't in one basket, if you like. So, so right. whereas a lot of people pre-lockdown, they were only doing things one way. And then when that thing stopped, they had to do it a different way. Well, if you mm. diversify and do things multiple ways anyway, then if one of them stops, you've always got the other ways to keep going, like, you know, so. 
Yeah, yeah I think we're, we're, we're lucky in, in that we're not providers of a, of a tangible good. We're, we're, we're more of a provider of a result. And because of that, I found that, certainly for myself, we have become more productive because if I previously had a client meeting up in Newcastle, for example, that's a day of travelling, so I wouldn't be able to get the laptop out. I'd go and see the client for an hour, come back, and that would take me 10 hours, 11 hours to do. But because I conduct the calls like this at the moment, I suddenly get another seven hours back whereby I can, you know, catch up on administration, make some calls, speak to insurers. So, I, you know, I, I think that, in fact, I passionately think that things are going to be different forever now. Because oh, yeah, yeah, we're definitely. To, we're going to speak to clients and go, right, do you want us to come and see you? And they're, they're thinking, well, why? Because it worked so well last time. And we're not going to fight it because obviously the offer's always there, but we save on expenses in getting up and down the country and we save on time and we're more productive. So I think the world will change and for the better. I think, I think the actual, the economy, once we get over the, the problem, I think you find the economy is going to 2x or 3x or 10x. You know, I think the economy is going to really get a boost of the efficiency. Yeah. Something I've been teaching for a long time is technical efficiency. So putting technology into your business to replace people and to replace, um, you know, old, old antiquated processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's what businesses are finding now is that actually they've switched to technology and they're realizing they've got so much more time in the day. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, I think it's a case of, you know, certainly for myself um, and again for you, because obviously you're used to being out and about and stuff in my 12 years of insurance, I, I've never finished at five o'clock so much in my life because I've got that much more time to do stuff that I can allow myself to finish when I should be finishing as opposed to getting back from an all-day visit and go, right, I better do some emails now and then suddenly you close your laptop at eight. So I think it's great in that sense. Yeah, well, there's three hours of the day that most people get back and that's the hour and a half commute to and from work. Agreed. Agreed. You know? When it's only a it's only a twenty or thirty minute minute journey most of the time, but it's hour and a half in the morning and in the afternoon because of the time. So you know that's three hours of pro- productivity. So myself, something I would encourage you as a young entrepreneur is work that three hours because you would have lost it anyway. So give give some work into those three hours, and actually you'll yeah. find you're three hours more productive per day, which is mm-hmm. like fifteen hours a week, yeah, which mm-hmm. is like sixty hours a month. Yeah? yeah, how much more yeah. money you can make if you work 60 hours a month that was just previously written off. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Very good advice. Yeah. yeah, so when I was in the corporate world, I used to work that time anyway, because what I realised is I, it's only a half hour to get home, but it take an hour and a half. So I'll stay on for that hour and a half and then leave to get home. And I've got an hour yeah. and a half extra time that I would have just been sat in the car listening to the radio otherwise. Yeah, I used to, when I worked, because I used to work in Birmingham City Centre, I'm a bit further out now. But the only way to really get in and out of the city centre is by train. And I used to do that all the time. The, the, you know, the, the trains after work were, were packed for an hour and a half. So I thought, what's the point in, in being completely closed up where I can just carry on, do a bit, bit of extra and then get a train at six, half six. And it's a much more comfortable journey. Yeah, well, I, I actually got promoted nine times in six years in a tech startup business because of that strategy. You know, putting mm. in the extra time. Because if you're willing to put in the extra time in when other people aren't, then you're going to get promoted. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's, it's, it's how it works, like right? you know what I mean. It's like it's like <laughs> what I say to people who are new to trying to find a job. I say, well, volunteer at a company you want to work at. Tell them that you'll go and start for nothing, and you'll work like a dog, 
because you're passionate about their business, they'll let you in. And once they see how passionate you are and how hard you work, they'll give you a job. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the, things like that and that kind of personality trait. I think it, it, it's difficult to teach. You can, you can learn knowledge and you can get experience, but, you know, as an employer, you want somebody that's, that's driven and passionate and goes that extra mile and everything else can be acquired along the way, I think. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd rather that personality trait with, you know, little experience than somebody who is sort of like, you know, well, I've got the experience, but I'm only going to give you my experience through my contracted hours. So you think, oh, well... It's, it's, it's not as appealing, is it? No, no, definitely not. You know, that's why a lot of companies do. They employ for attitude and they'll train the skills. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, Aston Lark, uh, what you do there and what products uh, you offer, etc. Yeah, so, so the, 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 the corporate sphere of Aston Lark is that we're the quickest growing insurance broker in the UK and the, the current insurance broker of the year with, I believe it's around 30 offices now in the UK and one in Ireland. Um, we pitch ourselves as a, a, a general commercial insurance broker. So we look after, it could be a property owner, it could be solicitors, manufacturers, tech companies, right across the board. Um, but we, we, we do the whole suite of packages. So it's not just the insurance for the businesses. Um, we've got the capability to do things like your pensions, your key man and all that kind of stuff. So we're a general commercial insurance broker but with areas of specialism. So the office I work in in Stourbridge, we are very big into uh, the metal recycling industry and the motor vehicle dismantlers industry. So we have affiliations with the British Metal Recyclers Association and the Vehicle Recycling Association. Now, that's our niche, which does well for us because the word recycling in the insurance industry is generally a swear word because of the, the, the risk associated to it and the, the history of the industry being, you know, quite, um, I suppose, un underhanded and, and a little bit sort of dirty, which is now being cleaned up and, you know, we see fantastic risks all the time. Um, so my day-to-day -day role is to, to sit like this, or whether it's on, on in person or now on a Zoom call, and then I ask people what they do, get a feel for the business, and then give them advice as to what their risks are and how they can protect themselves around it. Okay, so it's uh, sort of commercial insurance uh, arm, mm -hmm. really, you know, commercial buildings, trucks, vehicles, you know, um, premises, you know, um, uh, cover for when uh, the, the workers are out on site, so, you know, public liability, professional indemnity, all that sort of yep. stuff, all, all wrapped up into uh, one policy, is it? Or, or... Well, it's not, it's not always one policy, but we, we wrap it up into a programme. So, you know, I've, I've got clients that have, eight, nine policies plus covering the risks that you just said. So they'll have their, their fleet and they'll have their liabilities and their property. But then you, you talk about the, the non-tangible stuff like directors cover, cyber covers massive. And I, you know, it's probably just on LinkedIn. I just stick something on that pretty much every day about it. And, and professional indemnity, travel at the moment is quite big. Can we go or can't we? So it's just creating a suite and going, these are the risks, these are the insurers, these are the costings. How do you want to look after yourself and, and, and creating a program with that? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so, so obviously that's quite a, a unique niche there, the the recycling. But it's one that um, so so uh, it's quite a, it's quite a lot of uh, industry growing in that sector, isn't it? Recycling businesses and there's a lot of big businesses in that sector. There are there are we we've got clients who are in the you know ten million plus turnover arena in those sectors. Um, 
the vehicle dismantling industry, you know, I'm of the personal opinion that there's going to be a boom in that section. Uh, insurers are more are becoming more willing to use secondhand parts or green parts because it's cleaner and it's cheaper. Um, and I think from a personal perspective, because of the uncertainty of, um, well, employment at the moment, um, people are more hesitant to take on long-term leases on vehicles. So that way they'll either keep their vehicle and buy second-hand parts via a scrapyard and fit it themselves or buy second-hand and get the parts from a dismantler. So I think the, the dismantling and the recycling industry is going to boom out of almost an uncertain economic climate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, the new car car market is definitely going to take a dip. So that 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 mm. means they're both intertwined, if you like, aren't they? Interconnected. If the new uh, car market takes a dip, then the recycled parts market takes a, a climb as people yeah. hold on to their cars a bit longer. Yeah, I think it's the it's the the certainly at the moment in the short term, it's the people and people are traveling less. Like I said, because we we're working in different ways. There is uncertainty around employment for a lot of people, so they're going. Do I really want to commit to a three-year lease on a vehicle whereby I may not even use it, and if something did happen, I may not be able to fund it? Um, so, so I, you know, I think people are making the decision not to or to hold back or keep vehicles for longer, which you know, at all I think is great <laughs> because they're they're doing better over this. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great anyway. It's but you know, I think um, the over commercialization and, and uh, di dipping into resources from the planet is not a mm -hmm. sustainable thing anyway. And I think you know, there's too much scrapping of secondhand cars just because nobody wants them. You know, the value of secondhand cars, especially once they're like 10 years or older, has just mm -hmm. fallen, like you know. And if we'd have done yeah. that years ago, there wouldn't be anything like antique cars like there are now where people have looked after them, you know. And I suppose there's certain cars that people are never going to scrap, you know, certain brands and stuff. But, you know, it's a bit like most things. Um, people get, it's like mobile phones. People get rid of them when they're still working fine, just because they want to buy yeah. another one. You know, yeah. it's the same as cars. People get rid of their cars because they scrap them because nobody wants to buy a second hand because it's got a few parts that, that are missing or, or need yeah. replacing. So they just scrap mm. the whole car. And it's like, what you got to do is put three new parts on it. It's new, you know, mm. put, a, put a new clutch in or a new... Uh, you know, something, a new engine, I mean, and then you've got a new car. It's shiny and new, don't we? And then, like, I, I agree, certainly with the phone thing, because I, I got a new phone last year, and they said, like, okay, put your old phone in this box, and we'll, we'll give you some credit towards the cost of the new phone. And I, I obviously gave it them back, but I always wonder what happened to them. I'm assuming that the parts are recycled, but I don't actually know. And yeah, I, I, think that, well, like, I think a lot of the phones over here that are collected are given to places like Africa and that where they don't mind yeah. that the phone is three years old or five years old or whatever because five years old is still newer than the ten-year-old one that they got, like, you know? Of course. I think it's difficult, isn't it, with, with electronics because you buy, you buy a new phone and three months later it's already out of date. And so it's, it's people wanting to, to have the brand new and the up-to-date. And, 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 but I, I think, same as you, I just don't think it's... Sustainable. I kind of hope that like things like phones get to a point where it's just constantly kept up to date via software upgrades um, and then do it that way because I, I don't think it is sustainable to, to keep yeah, I changing think, phones every I couple of years. I think that would make perfect sense. You know, the hardware stays the same and is the perfect hardware, you know, and then just the updates happen within the system. So it's not eating into resources, but it's still being modernized. Like, you know, I think that's the. Yeah. That's the way forward. I actually never thought about that as a solution to the phone industry, but uh, that's a great idea, that is. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, it's like I've stopped upgrading my phones purposely because I didn't think the hardware was that much better. In, and actually, like, um, mm -hmm. there was a phase when the phone was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I actually yeah. quite liked it when it was smaller. So I was yeah. like, well, I'm not going to upgrade my phone for a big one when I just want it to be little in my pocket. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, especially as I carry two phones because I'm always social media marketing. I use one for my calling and one for my working. Yeah, of course. The yeah. battery's better, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so I don't upgrade my phones as much now, but you always got to update the software, but that's where they should tie the pricing into the software rather than the hardware. Yeah, keep, even if, keep yeah, even if you do that, well, it's, you know, new software coming out, give us 50 quid. And you're going to find people that, you know, all the up-to-date apps and and all that kind of stuff so maybe that that should be the future i suppose it, the only sort of the only thing i could think that they could potentially upgrade which can't come by software is the is the camera phone um possibly but then again i think looking at the picture of my on my phone it's like if i've got a camera anyway so i can't see how much more they can actually no, that's it. Yeah, they, they add more and more and more to the camera, but mm. ultimately most people don't care. It actually, it's yeah. like I got a better quality camera, camera, camera over the years, and I took a lot of pictures. But when you mm. take send the pictures, the bigger the quality, the bigger the file, the more it, it takes up your memory and your space and everything. So I usually pick like medium or something anyway. So yeah, like, yeah. so so if you want a really good camera phone that's improved every year, then you should go out and get a new phone. But for the vast majority of people, once you've hit a certain level. They don't want yeah, anything better. Than anything, you know what I mean? It's, it's a bit yeah. like um, I'm not that bothered by by HD and 3D and 4D and all that. As long as I can watch the telly in this clear picture, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, I'm more interested in the programming than, than the TV just getting minuscule bits clearer I'm, and, and more better every time, like you know. And so my brother's like, he tells me like, you need a 4K TV, and like, you know, you'll sit around his house and be like, oh, look at the quality of it, and I'm like, yeah, but the, what you're watching is the same. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if like. The grass that you can see is just slightly more defined. It doesn't really change my experience all that much, certainly for a couple of thousand to to actually, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. it's the same as with sound. It's like I haven't actually got a microphone for my podcast. I just use the um, I use the uh, the computer, you know, the built-in yeah. microphone. But I, I'm in a quiet environment, which is good, which helps yeah. as well. But like, you know, some people wouldn't put out a podcast episode or recording because of the sound quality or whatever. Like. Well, I've listened to the sound quality. It's fine. If you needed to be a certain sound quality over and above that, well, don't don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> listen to someone else's who's got a microphone or something. But for most people, it, it'll do. Like you know what I mean? It, 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 people can hear the message, and you know you don't want to detract from the message. It's the it's the content that's important, not necessarily whether you know everything is as crystal or not. And in real world situations, when you speak to people in the real world. Not everyone speaks at the same temp, uh, level or or of clarity and stuff. So you know, it's part of re reality and real life. Not everything needs to be sanitized. Things are yeah. real and authentic. You know. Yeah, agreed. Totally agree. Yeah, brilliant. So uh, I do quite a lot of uh, business networking. Do you do much business networking in uh, in the Midlands? Um, I'd, I'd say more so now. Um, it, it's one of those where you know we've we've got to grow. Um, a bit of background in our company is that we had a huge investment last year of 300 million pound by Goldman Sachs and they said okay well we can see potential in your, in your business but obviously if someone puts 300 million in they want to return on their investment so we are not have to 
creative new ways of, of doing that. And um, you know, what, one of the ones that I'm looking at at the moment, and I do an hour on Twitter every Tuesday, is um, it's called the uh, Brummies Business Hour, and that's great because one of my clients look after a certain area of Birmingham, and this this networking group typically meets at the Grove and the Casino. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I'd like to get into that. Um, can't go there at the moment because of, of what you know what the outside's like but I, I managed to sort of connect with a bunch of people and it will make it easier when the grows and the do, do open again and we can go back because I've made that contact via Twitter or via LinkedIn or, or through other means so you know in terms of networking we've always networked um, I suppose through our client base where you know the, the best way to get business is via recommendation you do a good job for somebody and you go look is there anyone that might need some help generally happy to go yeah speak to dave that's his number and all that kind of stuff but um you can exhaust that route and you know we need to sort of like much like what we've what been doing on linkedin since lockdown looking at alternative ways to um to, to to just increase your name i suppose and just be out there and i think what what i'd be interested to know what you think about the linkedin platform but i sort of use it as a um almost a, a place to, to create awareness. I don't like the direct selling of, you need insurance, talk to me now. It's just, these are the topics. If you've got any questions, give me a call, send me an email, and, and, and just sort of offer that service. And then if down the line they go, well, the broker I've got isn't really that great, or he's retired or moved somewhere else, can you have a look, then I'll step in. But I'm not there to, to you know, say, I want your business, when's your renewal date? It's just not the way. Yeah, well, yeah, my, my, my thoughts on that is uh, LinkedIn is very similar to networking, yeah? It's not mm -hmm. a sales platform, it's a networking platform. So therefore, you've got to start slowly. So my advice is always, in networking mm -hmm. online or offline, is to get to know people. So ask people yeah. about themselves, take interest in them. Once you've mm -hmm. found out a bit about themselves and you found maybe some common ground, etc., then ask them about their business. Ask them how yeah. things are going, etc. And then, if for yeah. example they tell you something that that opens up an opportunity for you, then step in with that opportunity. And if it doesn't, give them some information about what you do. And mm -hmm. you know, after you found out about them, give them some information about what you do, and just say, listen, mm -hmm. if you're in a situation that you need me, or if you ever if you ever know anyone else who's in a situation that they might mm -hmm. need me, I'm more than happy to you know give you a referral fee or whatever if you mention me or just just bear me in mind so that would be my 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 approach to both online and offline uh, network and i think the people who connect with you on linkedin and then get straight in with their sales pitch you know they're um they're misunderstanding networking a little bit and they probably they're playing the numbers game and they're probably mm -hmm. working hard just to get very um, little response and, and effect so i think you know if you treat people like people just get to know mm -hmm. people and get to you know just see, see which ones you connect with which ones you don't with the business yeah. will be done with the ones you do connect with so either like for me again when i'm networking i'm not necessarily looking for customers if customers mm -hmm. customers will come your way if you're a good networker and good at what you do like yeah. you said referrals and whatever trust but what i'm looking for is like-minded people that i can basically connect with who may um, who are going to get to know me and I'm going to get to know them and then over time they're going to meet people from time to time that they know I should be speaking to and I'm yeah. going to meet people from time to time that they should be speaking to so I call yeah. them connectors or power networkers like you know mm. I once went on a course whereby they said that you're you're nine times more likely to buy off somebody that you you like yeah um, and I, I think like the, the, 
we're, we're both in in roles which is, is is very much about relationship i believe so like you know yesterday one of my clients rang me up i've not spoken to throughout lockdown um and we spent an hour on the phone and we just talked about everything but insurance uh you know we talked about you know what she'd been doing in the garden what was going on with a holiday that she can't go on now and the stuff and it's 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 that and then we went into the insurance and that lasted about 10 minutes but it's, it's that interpersonal relationship of you know 99 percent of people can not not percent of insurance brokers can find you a, a decent or suitable policy but it's who are you buying off and if there is a problem who do i ring or who makes me feel like i'm valued and i think i think that that's the important thing to sort of make somebody feel valued and wanted yeah, well, um, well, one of the, well, you know, I've been in sales for 30 years. You know, I've been on all sorts of training courses, sales courses, and internal, external, all that sort of thing. And everyone will tell you in sales, you know, people buy people, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. They, they buy, they buy our people they know, like, and trust. But they buy, they buy people generally because, you know, they're comparing three, four quotes on all the time of three, four companies who are offering them the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or very similar things. And often the deciding factor will be actually, which is the person delivering that information or that service to me that I want to deal with the most, you know, because yeah. I'm going to speak to them regularly and they're going to be in my life. I'm going to be in their life, which is the one mm. I want in my life most, which is yeah. why if you can connect with people and actually genuinely get on with them, then you're much better off that way. And, and you're more likely to do business that way. They last longer term as well, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're the, you're the sort of person they want to be we, are, we live in too competitive a world now for people to be existing in business if they can't do their service good so you know Agreed. so having a good product or a good service is not going to clinch you a deal because everyone Agreed. else has got a good product and a good service so what's the yeah. differentiating factor well the differentiating factor is going to be the passion and enthusiasm of the salesperson or the mm -hmm. account manager the content or the knowledge or the, the the friendliness or relationship skills of the of the person or the people you're dealing with at the business, the customer mm -hmm. service that you give, you know, these are some of the differentiating factors, like you know. You know, for yeah, me, yeah. I always try and add value into my product and service as well. So what things extra can you do that other people aren't doing? So try and make a, a, a difference between, you know, one service and another. But I'm mm. always the difference and I'm always happy to be the difference. You know, yeah. ultimately anyone who buys any of my products or services, they get me included. So yeah. that's like yeah. priceless. That's priceless because mm. I know how helpful I am. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've got a, um, a quite a good anecdote about that, a very short one. But I, I started looking after a new electrical contractor at the start of July and they, they ran me up a bit stressed and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Now, in July, or the 1st of July, um, legislation changed for residential property owners. So if you have a new tenant, you have to get a qualified electrician to do a full electrical inspection of the property. And if they don't, then there's various implications or ramifications of, yeah. So I actually contacted this electrical contractor and said, don't know if you're aware of the changes to the legislation, but you know, if you've got any sort of residential property owners in your network, it might be worth giving them a call because it could, and they weren't aware of it, and it and could increase the work, for business. And that's nothing to do with insurance, or nothing to do no. with me, or, or what I'm providing for cover. It's about caring, and it's about going that extra mile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And well, you know, I, I come from again. It's a well-known phrase in the in the networking community. But give us get. 
Yeah, yeah. give us get or give us gain. And actually, if you help people and you give to other people, then obviously when they're in a, a spot of um, a moment where they're either put on the spot by somebody else and asked, do you know somebody who can do this? And at that point, you want to be the one that they think of, yeah? yeah. And uh, yeah. and obviously, if they're in a position themselves, oh, sugar, something's gone wrong, I need to get hold of somebody who can do this, you know, who's the one I think of? And the one they yeah. think of is the one who's like probably more likely to have done something for them in some way or helped them or or, or just marketed to them or, or something. So the way mm -hmm. I look at it is one of the best strategies to be in um, thought of at that moment in time and therefore being contacted is to help mm. people you know not only is it good for for marketing purposes to have helped people it's also good for society because somebody else has been helped it's also yeah, yeah. good for um, your own feeling the, the fact that you've helped somebody it's actually good sure. for your own mental attitude and your own sort of um, your own positiveness if you like your own self-belief self-confidence the more you yeah. help people and give to others the better you'll feel about yourself and therefore the better you'll be able to close in 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 a sales sort of situation yeah no, no i think i think that's, that's great advice to be honest it's <laughs> you know it's it, it, it's it's about you it's about what you bring and it's okay well what do you actually do and i, I like that order it's, it's like to get to know them personally and then because my boss said the quickest way to clear a bar is Go into a bar and go, I do insurance. Anybody needs insurance, and you just watch from the room again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a fun conversation. Um, but it's one of those, uh, like, it's like, for example, my dad's business. I, I started looking after my dad's business uh, this year, despite being in insurance for 12 years. And it was because he had a great relationship with the person that he was with. Um, so I felt little need to go after it because I, you know, I used to work with the person that he was with, and I know he was a great person, and they got really well. So it, 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 it was of no benefit to my dad at that time no. to, to, get, to try and get him because I knew that that worked. So, you know, I think like it's a timing thing and not, it's okay that not everyone's going to be your client. Even if you know them, it's okay that they place their business elsewhere because if something happens, whereby like I said, somebody leaves, the business goes down or whatever, you're always going to be their call to call and I'm completely comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Are there any niches you're looking to expand into after that investment then? Because you obviously mentioned the, the two niches you're sort of working with more at the moment. Are there any other niches you're looking at? Well, we've got quite a lot across the division. Uh, so, you know, we, we, do, we go to funeral directors. We've got a uh, motor trade uh, product. We've got hauliers. So we've got, we've got a lot there. I think what the important thing is to... Um, the, the, the world's changing in, in the risks that people are facing. Um, people are working more from home. Cyber attacks have gone up by 400% or so since lockdown. So it, it's more working with the client base you've got uh, and adapting their, their insurance program. So it, it's not like a total diversification or, a, okay, this is our new sector. It's just... I suppose organic growth, it would be the, the technical term for it because there are risks there which were there before but nowhere near as, as concerning and, and, and having those conversations and, and trying to make them aware that, you know, you're insuring your physical stuff, you know, my fridge over there is insured and this is insured and stuff. But quite frankly, I'm not going to be bothered if my fridge got stolen. I get a second-hand fridge. But if I couldn't get into my laptop to do work and do this, 
I'm in a lot of problem. I'm in a lot of trouble. So what am I going to? What should I insure? The fridge, which I'm not really that bothered about because I can get a second-hand fridge, or this. And you know, it, it's, it's having those conversations at the moment. Yeah, it's like my mate Phil. He does insurance for people's lives and directors' insurance and that sort of mm. thing. And like people insure their house and their car, but they don't insure their life. Yeah, yeah. I find what a big one, and and we did a bit of a ring ground for this. It is insurance for directors. Um, which it, it, to me is, is so pivotal at the moment because so much legislation is flying about, people have got to do so many things and it's so easy just to miss one. Like, like the one I just said about the electrical certificates, it, it wasn't on the front page of the newspaper, it just slipped in. So it no, I see, I've seen it, but that's because I, I do a bit of property development network and I've got a property maintenance oh, okay. business, so I've seen it. But yeah, yeah, for the mass market, like, like most of these things, unless you spend lots of money, you're not going to penetrate everybody. So you only get a percentage, like, you know? Yeah, so, so, so the director's side of it is, if there was a, a negligence or failure to do something like that, then you could be pursued by a trade body, a company, somebody personally. And I, and I say, and it works out usually to about £2 a day to, to insure it. And I say to clients all the time, say, like, you, you know, you're sitting at home, You've got this beautiful house around you, you've got a lovely car and all that kind of stuff. Why would you jeopardise that for £2 a day? Just because it's so fast moving, it's so difficult to protect yourself from every, every risk or everybody going, you've done me wrong there. For something so small, it just seems... And, you know, in, in this arena, because of COVID, the, 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 we're expecting a wave of claims just to go like that. So the second wave of tools is not going to be a second wave of COVID. It's going to be a, it's going to be a wave of direct claims because people have been made redundant or will be made redundant. Some people have been made furloughed and they go, well, you made me furloughed, but not him or her furloughed. You should have kept him two metres apart from me. You haven't set your workspace up correctly. You haven't done this, this and that. And there's just so much more opportunity for others to pursue you. So it's a case of we're, we're being told that the market's hardening, which means premiums are going up. And in America at the moment, they're excluding COVID-related claims and it will follow suit over here. So if you can get the cover before that comes in, then you, you, you do it. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, that's brilliant. Um, uh, it's been great having you on the podcast. Just let Absolutely. people know how to get in touch with you. Yeah, so what I'll do is, I'm on LinkedIn, so it's Daniel O'Brien on LinkedIn. I'll see if I can give it my... So on LinkedIn, I've got um, my email addresses on there, but I'll see if I can just, if you can see that, those are my contact details, should, um, yeah. should anyone... Yeah, it's, it's Daniel O'Brien with an E instead of an A, isn't it? Yeah, so my email address is, uh, it's Dan, so it's dan.obrien, which is O-B-R-I-E-N at astonlark.com. Brilliant. All right, then. Well, uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming on the podcast and sharing uh, uh, some of your ex experiences and some of the information about what you do. It's been great having you on. Really interesting. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, brilliant. All right, then. There's nothing else left for me to say now other than have a great day. I know I will. And thanks very much for listening. This episode was brought to you in conjunction with Startup and SME web design business, 333 Websites, which are available at www.333websites.co.uk and Mike Armstrong's Coaching, which is available at uh, mikearmstrong.me forward slash coaching. 
Um, there's nothing else left for me to say now other than have a great day. I know I, I will. And don't forget, you can do it. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers. Bye-bye.